Amen. If you would remain standing and turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 67 through 80 this morning. Verses 67 through 80. Luke 1, verses 67 through 80. This is Zechariah's prophecy, otherwise known as Zechariah's song. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our Lord, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child, meaning John, John the Baptist, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness, until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. And as you do, if you could please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, it has been a rough week for Stephanie and I this past week. Um, If you are on Facebook, maybe you have seen some of the things that we have posted. Um, But uh, on Tuesday morning after our men's group, I got a phone call from Stephanie Um, It was important. Um, Actually, technically, I got a text message during the group saying, call me when you get done. So I knew something was wrong. And when I called, I found out that uh, there was no water coming out of our kitchen sink. Uh, As you know, earlier this week, it was very, very cold. So uh, I was very concerned. Uh, We had a frozen pipe. I didn't want the pipe to burst. So uh, I called up Keith Perry. He told us what to do. Uh, being a former plumber, so we appreciated that. Um, but when I got home, um, that uh, what I had realized was also that our heat wasn't working. Uh, I had gotten up very early that morning. It was my morning to prepare breakfast for the men's group. Uh, I won't tell you what time I got up. Let's just say it was early. And uh, when I went down to our thermostat, I felt, man, it feels cold in here. Well, 49 degrees in the house is very cold. Uh, so I turned it back on because it had gone off. Uh, but it turns out it doesn't matter if it was on or off because the blower wasn't working. 
thankfully, we've only been in our house about six months. We still have our home warranty. It uh, didn't cost us much to get that replaced. Uh, the, the pipe uh, unfroze. It thawed. Uh, no pipe was burst, thankfully. Uh, everything is working properly. And so we are warm. We are safe. Uh, that was Tuesday. <laughs> that was uh, quite a day, uh, to, to be honest. Um, so we got the heater repaired actually on Wednesday. So Tuesday was a, a cold night as well. Um, but Tuesday, uh, the week also got difficult for me uh, because that's when we got the phone call uh, from our former pastor's wife uh, letting us know that Helen, a girl that um, I had the privilege of knowing the last five years, a member of my youth group there, um, an 18-year-old female, uh, had been in a very serious car accident and uh, had lost her life. Um, it's very difficult news to hear. Um, death is, is never easy to deal with um, because it's, it's hard. Uh, the death of someone so young uh, seems to be even more difficult to deal with. Uh, they were... Uh, she was in the car with uh, her boyfriend and another friend. Uh, the two boys were sitting up front. She was in the back seat. Uh, she was not wearing her seatbelt. And uh, they were going about 85 in a 45 and um, uh, went, veered off the road and uh, slammed into a tree. Uh, she was ejected from the vehicle and um, she was pronounced dead on the scene. Um, Their family is a very dear family to me. Uh, she has two older brothers and a younger brother as well uh, that I was very close with while I was there. I really appreciated their family. Uh, they ministered to me just as much as I ministered to them. Um, so uh, I know that they would definitely appreciate your prayers. Uh, their funeral, uh, the funeral for her is today at 2 o'clock. So um, if you could remember uh, the Reed family in your prayers. Um, I needed the words of Zechariah's song this week um, because it was a difficult week. Uh, I needed the words that he sang after the joyous birth of his son, John, uh, after his voice was restored, after nine months of not being able to speak. Because what Zechariah does is that he gives praise to God because God has saved us just as he promised in order that we might serve him. Uh, this week I needed to be reminded of the promises of God that are fulfilled in Christ. So uh, God deserves our praise because God is a God who keeps his promises. Uh, there are two men that Zechariah points out here in his prophecy or in his song. He reminds us of the covenant that God made with David. Uh, that covenant is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 13, where we read at 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 13. From that time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest 
from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Obviously, those promises are fulfilled in Solomon and in the subsequent kings that come from him in the house of Judah. But God promises that David will always have someone who sits on his throne, that his kingdom will be forever. Uh, We read that later on in Isaiah chapter 9, one of the most famous verses that we read at Christmas time. We read it as one of the passages for Advent, uh, where Isaiah prophesied in 9 verses 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with righteousness and justice from this time forth and forevermore. So God has promised this to David. Not only to David, but he has made a covenant with Abraham. In fact, the covenant with David is actually a continuation of the promise that he made with Abraham. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham, he says, Go from your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families on earth shall be blessed. Uh, God promised Abraham a land, the land of Israel. He promised that he would make Abraham into a great nation, even though Abraham and Sarah did not have any children. He promised that all nations would be blessed through Abraham. And Zechariah, he knows these promises. Zechariah is a priest. He knows his Bible. He knows uh, God. And so when when Zechariah prophesies, he understands that God is a promise-making and that God is a promise-keeping God. This is very important. Zechariah understands that God is promising redemption through Abraham and through David. If you look at verses 68 and 69 of, of his song here, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has visited and redeemed his people raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Later on in 74, he says that we being delivered from our enemies, I'm sorry, in 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we might be delivered from our enemies. So Zechariah here, he is singing, just like Mary was singing last week in, uh, in the Magnificat, He is singing us the the Benedictus, as uh, theologians refer to it as, uh, because he starts off with saying, Blessed be the Lord, which is Benedictus in Latin. But uh, he is singing to us a prophecy. 
But one of the things that you notice about this prophecy is that everything is in the past tense. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited, he has redeemed, he has raised up. Um, The oath that he swore, that we being delivered, that we might serve, everything is already been done. Everything is in the past. In a sense, how can this be prophecy if he is talking about things that have already happened? Well, um, we call this the prophetic past. Zechariah is singing as if he knows that God is such a God that he keeps his promise, that everything that he is prophesying about is already as good as done. Zechariah is absolutely certain that God will keep his promises and accomplish redemption that he speaks of it as if it's already been done in the past. Um, We are going to have fellowship lunch after uh, the service this morning, and I know without a fact that it is going to be an amazing meal. So I can speak of it in the past tense. That fellowship lunch that we will have, that was awesome. I know it because you guys are good cooks, and I enjoy it every time we have it. It's been a long time. But it's so certain that I can speak of it in the past tense. And that's what Zechariah is doing here. He is so certain of God's redemption because of what God has revealed to him that he speaks of it in the past tense. So because God is a promise-keeping God, we can have peace and comfort and strength. And this is what I needed this past week. This is what I needed to have. Um, We can have strength despite our inadequacy. You know, when we become Christians, we come to the point where we realize the fact that we are sinners. We realize that we sin, that we are weak, that we are totally incapable of honoring God uh, on our own. But our God, our promise-keeping God, gives us strength. We find strength knowing that in our weakness, It's God who is strong. That He has done for us what we couldn't do on our own. That He has accomplished redemption in our lives through Christ. Not only does He give us strength, but He gives us peace in the chaos. Uh, Because God keeps His promise, we can have peace when everything in life seems to be going uh, or seems to be outside of our control. Um. When the heat went out on Tuesday, (laughs) when the pipes were frozen and water was not coming out of them, um, it was chaotic to me. I was struggling because I didn't know what was going on and I didn't know how to handle it. Um, I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off, going upstairs, going downstairs, seeing if it would turn on. Would this this do something? And it wasn't working. Um, Stephanie was very frustrated with me. (laughs) said, what are you doing? (laughs) Settle down. Um, she kept her head amongst the chaos, which I don't know how she did it. Um, obviously, we had our, our children with us as well. Um, and uh, it was chaotic to me because I didn't know what was going on and I didn't know how to fix it. Um, but our God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. Zechariah says that God has visited us, that He is with us. Our God is in control and He will always be in control. And we can trust Him 
in those times of chaos. Not only does he give us strength, not only does he give us peace amongst the chaos, um, but he also gives us comfort in the time of tragedy. Where do you turn when your 18-year-old daughter is suddenly killed in a car accident? Um, Liz, who is Helen's mother, um, is just the dearest, sweetest woman. Um, She is very kind, very gentle, um, very much a a servant. And um, I was told that she was the one who had to answer the door uh, when the coroner came. I feel like that's a parent's worst nightmare. Where do you go when you hear that news? Um, Knowing that your daughter is not going to be coming home. That the last things that you said to her that morning, whatever they were, were the last things that you will ever have the chance to say. Where do you turn for comfort? Well, we turn to a God who keeps His promises to us. We turn to a promise-keeping God who said that He has and He will redeem us from our enemies through His Son, Jesus Christ. And death is certainly our enemy. But Christ has redeemed us from it. You know, our enemy is not necessarily ourself. Um, God has made us in our image. And when we understand and realize our weakness, it's our sinful nature. Um, It's because of our sin. God has made us good, but because of the fall, we have this sinful nature. And this is why we feel weak. God did not make us weak. Um, Because of our sin, we have become weak. And our enemy is not frozen pipes or heaters that break down. Um, It's not job layoffs, per se, or financial struggles or relational issues. In reality, our enemy is Satan and the power that he exhibits in this world. We feel out of control and chaotic sometimes because of the power that Satan is is influencing, trying to disrupt the plans and the promises of God in our lives. Um, I realize that our enemy is not uh, careless teenage drivers. Um, Our enemy is, in reality, the ugliness of death. And that's what our hearts break over, is death. We know that our enemies are not physical, they are spiritual. The battle that we wage is a spiritual battle. As it says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Thanks be to God, because this is what God has redeemed us from. He has saved us from these enemies, from the hands of those who hate us, as it says in verse 71. Because God has given us power over our sinful nature through Christ. He has defeated the power of Satan that creates chaos. God has conquered 
death through the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. And these promises are fulfilled. He is fulfilling them and He will fulfill them in Christ. But as Zechariah reminds us in, our, in this song this morning, God not only has delivered us, but He has delivered us for a purpose. He has not only delivered our lives, but He also has given us uh, a purpose for our lives. God has delivered us so that we might serve Him, that we might serve Him without fear, as it says in 74 and 75, in holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. God has delivered us so that we might serve Him now, not just later. He hasn't just delivered us so that we would spend eternity with Him in heaven, although we long for that, but He has also delivered us so that we might serve Him here on the earth. Uh, On Tuesday mornings, uh, this past Tuesday, we, we read the last chapter in Tozer's uh, the pursuit of God, where he talks about this, this sacred, secular trap that we usually find ourselves in, thinking that, you know, on Sunday we come and we do these things that are, are sacred, that are holy to the Lord. And then we, we walk out the doors, and Monday morning comes, and suddenly we're in this secular world, and we're doing secular things. And then we come back and maybe we spend time in prayer, and suddenly we're doing something sacred and holy again. But Tozer reminded us that everything that we do is holy because God has redeemed us. Um, He puts it this way in the, the pursuit of God. He said, Let every man abide in the calling wherein he is called, and his work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. It's not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. The motive is everything. Um, I obviously am a pastor. Um, I have that title in front of my name, Reverend. Um, But you are just as much doing ministry as I am. We have different callings. Yes, I'm called to preach and, and to lead this church. Uh, but you have a ministry as well in your family, in your jobs, uh, with your friends. Um, and it's why we do things. It's not the what that we do, but it's the why we do it that makes it sacred. You see, God has delivered us not just to spend eternity with Him in heaven. We will do that, and I long for that. Um, especially when I hear news of uh, of 18-year-old uh 18-year-olds dying of pipes that get frozen, heat that won't turn on. Uh, I long for heaven. Um, But God has also delivered us to love Him and to serve Him now in all aspects of life, doing whatever He has called us to do. You have been given a sacred task. For John, he was also given a sacred task. His father prophesies about who he will be. John was born for a very specific purpose. He is the harbinger of Christ. He will prepare the people for the coming dawn, for this righteousness of the forgiveness 
of sins. God has a very, very special purpose for John. Um, Back when the angel visited him in the temple, Zechariah was told very special things about his son. That he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That he would have the spirit and the power of Elijah. uh, That he would turn people's hearts. That he would make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah himself echoes that prophecy here in his song. He calls his son that he will be the prophet of the Most High. That he will go before the Lord, that he will prepare the way, that he will give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. I love sunrises. Um, I'm a morning person. And one of the great things about being a morning person is that you get to see the sunrise. Uh, there's a chair that I usually sit in in the morning to have my quiet time. And uh, I can look out the window to my left and see the sun coming up over the horizon. Uh, this past week, I think it was on Thursday morning, uh, we had the heat restored. It was warm. And I saw the sun coming up and it was gorgeous. Uh, I tried to take a picture of it, but a, a picture uh, never quite does it justice. Um, But I saw first the pink, and then suddenly it was a blazing red and orange, and it was just gorgeous. Um, That is one of the things I love about being up early in the morning, uh, to see the beauty of the Lord through the sunrise. Zechariah refers to Jesus here as the sunrise, about the light that will be coming. In verses 78 and 79, He says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Malachi, in his prophecy in chapter 4, verse 2, says this about Christ. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And uh, Jesus himself says later in John chapter 8, verse 12, He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John had the very special task. Just like Mary was given this amazing blessing as a woman to give birth to the Son of God, John had the special task as being the man who would be the herald, be the the harbinger, be the one who would go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Uh, John's purpose was to be that light before the sunrise. When you see after a long, dark night, you see the first shades of pink that are coming up over the horizon. That's John. That's who he is. And what he is saying is that we need to get ready. He's saying to the people, get ready. Jesus is coming. Get ready. It's about to happen. So how does he prepare people for this coming salvation, for this coming redemption? Well, most people at that time would have longed for him to say, all right, people, get ready. Sharpen your sword. Put on your battle gear. We're about to go to war. We're going to kick out these Romans. We're going to have the land to ourselves again. But that is not what John says. That is not how he prepares the people for coming redemption. Instead, what he says is repent. 
Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Because his job was to make people prepared for the coming forgiveness of their sins. His job was to make people aware of the fact that they were sinners and that they needed redemption. John was going to be this this beginning of the sunrise of redemption and people needed to know that they needed this redemption because of their sins. And you know what? Our purpose, our calling is not unlike John. His was very special. Um, but our calling is very similar. But we are called to prepare the way of the coming Jesus. We are called to prepare the way for His second coming. People need to know what Jesus did, that He came and accomplished salvation through His death on the cross. People need to know that salvation is offered to them through faith in Christ. And God has given us the ability and the task to bring that message to others and to bring that to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, Jesus says in the Great Commission that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So like John, we are called to be witnesses and to make disciples of Christ. But people need to, not, to, need to know not only that Jesus came, but that He is coming again. Um, we don't have all the time in the world. We don't know when, but at some point this life will be over. I know that Helen never imagined that this past Wednesday would be the last day of her life. I know that she didn't wake up that morning thinking, you know what, this is it. This is my last day. She probably didn't get into that vehicle saying this is uh, the last thing that I'm ever going to do. We need to know that at any moment, our life could be over. At any moment, Christ could return. And knowing this should create an urgency in our lives. We should live with a sense of urgency. Like John, we should live with the mindset that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the return of Jesus is near. So often we live as if, you know, that's going to be in the distant future. That'll happen at some point. Um, Because we don't know when, I feel like it gives us a sense of complacency. But instead, it should fill us with urgency because it could happen at any moment. Because as sure as Christ came the first time, He will come again. And we know this because we know that God is a promise-keeping God who keeps His promises, who keeps His covenant. You know, Zechariah could speak of the coming redemption in the past tense because it was so certain to happen. And we can do the same thing with Christ coming again. It is absolutely certain. So the question for us this morning then is, how do we live our lives in anticipation of Christ's 
imminent return? How do we live with this sense of urgency? Well, Zechariah shows us that we live praising God for the redemption that he has accomplished for us through Christ. We live praising God. And because he has accomplished this redemption, he has given us purpose in everyday life. That we can serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. It means that everything that we do, not just here at church, but especially throughout the rest of the week, that everything is done from the perspective that whatever we are doing, we're doing it for the glory of God, being witnesses for Him. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in Heaven, we thank You that You are a promise-keeping God, that You have promised Uh, to Abraham, to David. Uh, You have prophesied through your servant Zechariah that you have and you will accomplish redemption. And we know that this has happened and we know, Lord, that it will. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for what He accomplished for us. That He accomplished for us the forgiveness of our sins. And we long for the day when He will come again. And we say, come, Lord Jesus Lord, while you tarry, I pray that you would uh, instill in us the purpose that you have for us, that we might live holy lives, knowing that everything we do can be for your honor and for your glory. Help us to be witnesses, to make disciples of all nations. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.